Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. This week's guest actually tried to get himself DQ'd from Carry Optics Nationals before he ever got there by plotting to have people place stickers all over porta potty walls. I know, crazy talk. He's a GM and he placed 19th at Carry Optics Nationals. Everyone, welcome Tim Dundery to the show. How you doing, Tim? I am great. <laughs> Why don't you take a second and introduce yourself? Um, my name's Tim, better known as Tanfo Timmy, kind of a, a niche micro-influencer on the Instagram by now, I think. <laughs> I a lot think of people so. look to me as a news source, and I constantly have to say that's just a joke, not actual news. But like I said, I'm a carry optics GM. I've been working really hard, pleased with this year's performance, and just going as far as I can in the sport and having a blast while doing it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds like the perfect way to do it. Become a GM, have fun, shoot, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't, I, I remember a year or two ago, I never even thought I'd be this far. So now it's kind of just become keep trying and it's it's been going pretty well. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, I've got I've to interrogate you and ask the five hardest questions of your life. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So we're going to start off with what we what we do, Tim, is we ask a few icebreaker questions, and those are typically the ones that stump everybody. So number one, what's your favorite movie? What's my favorite movie? Oh, that's a pretty, that actually is kind of a tough one. <laughs> if I had to go really simple, it would be Super Troopers. Such a, oh. such a hilarious movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Favorite book? I think the original Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. Oh, now have you read all of them? Yeah, pretty much. Um, there's some of the newer ones that he was only like a part of. I, I didn't really get into those as much, but most of the original ones he wrote before he passed, I, I really enjoy those. And how did the movie series follow the books? Um, close enough. I can see where they have to take liberties to, to make a movie sell well. He, the thing I like about his writing style, he gets really in-depth with like legitimate technology and legitimate science and all the stuff he uh, goes into in his, in his stories is, is realistically possible. I've so never actually a, read one of his... I'm sorry? Oh, man. It makes Jurassic Park, the book, makes the movie seem like a cartoon almost. It's really, <laughs> really great read. Yeah, I've only seen the movies. I've not read any of his books, so... I'm not sure how he is as a storyteller or any of that. All right. Number three, favorite superhero, or if you're not into that, favorite historical figure. Oh, I go historical figure, probably because I'm not not too big into the superheroes. Or I guess if I had to pick a superhero, it would be like the Deadpool guy. Mm. I love I love everything that guy's up to. The few superhero movies I've seen where, where the Deadpool and that stuff's hilarious. But maybe if we went historical figure, it'd be like Genghis Khan. I've actually recently figured out that my dad's side of the family, through that DNA testing and stuff, is, is originated from that area a long time ago. Kind of interesting. Did he have an anger streak when you were growing up? No, not at all. Oh, okay. No, really no, calm, but no, no desire to like conquer the world or anything? No, not quite. <laughs> I mean... It seems to be a thing, and my dad's side of the family, we're all very capable, but probably get bored too soon, too easy. <laughs> okay, you distracted something else. Yep. <laughs> all right, so your favorite gun and your favorite caliber, 
and they don't have to be married together. Just because your favorite gun's a 1911 doesn't mean you have to be a fan of 45. Um, it's going to sound like a plug, but it is the Tanfo. I just love everything about it. I uh, like the, the original stock too. When I started shooting that, the, the hard Chrome is just exactly what I love in a gun. It's the shiny hard Chrome and it fits my hands super well. Um, just really love how, how like timeless they look. And I'd say my favorite caliber, if I had to go goofy, is probably like 10 millimeter. You can do just goofy stuff with it. Made some like loads with like 125 grain bullets just screaming at like 2,000 feet per second. Or you can do like a 220, 230 grain lead bullet doing like 1,000 feet per second. A lot of interesting things. That is interesting. I, I've not played around with 10 millimeter, so I, I wouldn't know. Now, have you by chance happened to do any ballistic testing with that? No, nothing like that. I've never got that in depth. I figure if it makes my hand tingle, it's got to got to do well. <laughs> but like, yeah, we always carried it for bear defense. I'm like, I can take five shots in my 44 Magnum or, or 15 with the 10 mil. So it's like, oh, I'll go with the 10 mil. <laughs> okay. That would be interesting to see, though, the difference between a 200 grain bullet at 1,000 feet versus a 125-grain bullet going 2,000 feet per second. That would be an interesting ballistic comparison. Oh, absolutely. I know we go with the, the heaviest bullet we can. If you're, like, dangerous game defense, you just get a lot of really good straight-line penetration. So that so it's said. Obviously, never tested it, but you just want minimal expansion, straight-line penetration through, like, a giant animal, I guess. Right. Yeah, you need depth of penetration for sure. Also heard you can shoot Lego heads in 10 millimeter. They fit perfectly. They're about 40 caliber. The heads from the Lego figurines. So I'm going right. to try that one of these days when I get bored. Just a primed case and a Lego head and see what happens. Oh, yeah. You definitely have to post something on Instagram about that when you do. Right. I should have videoed the last time I was testing some like rifle primers in my Tanfo. And I just, just load up an empty primed case to see if the, the light springs I run will pop up pop a primer and I was like well it shoots a little bit of fire out so I should probably not do it in my reloading room so I went in the laundry room and shot it into the laundry sink I didn't know the cat was in the room and oh man will that scare a cat I was like holy crap that cat was running out of there like it was on fire so that, that would have been a solid lost, one it probably lost two lives right it's down, it's down to seven lives now that so, I wish I would have got that on tape, man. <laughs> <laughs> you need to um, you need to set up a camera, record it, and then just fire one off at night and video the flame that comes out of that thing. Hmm. Oh, would be fun too. Yeah, yeah compare the flame size to rifle and pistol primer. There you go. Yeah, the most unscientific uh, testing. That's how I get down. <laughs> <laughs> but they're fun. <laughs> oh. Still testing. <laughs> exactly. Oh, goodness. All right. This next one is a two-part question, and I'm going to have to share the screen. So let me pull this up. <laughs> All right. This is going to be funny. So who – I'll give you part one right now. So who does your, your memes? Do you do them, or do you farm them out to Bill Duda of Go Fast, Don't Suck? Bill can't hang with me. I do everything myself. <laughs> <laughs> occasionally That's i do memes me. for other people too like i've, I've told people oh. send me your ideas ideas are the hard thing to come by i can turn any for sure. good idea into a good meme it's the ideas for memes that get you sometimes 
Absolutely. Now, the second part of this question is, how exactly did you get Kanye West to model for you? That was a picture that he posted <laughs> on Twitter, and uh, somebody just blanked out the paper. So I, all I had to do, I have a meme, like Meme Generator Pro, I think it is. It's just a usable meme template, and it just you put your text right on there. That's pretty funny. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Yeah, but it's just like... Well, I'll do my diligence and tell people no stickers. <laughs> so let's the we'll go ahead and take way possible. There you go. We'll go ahead and take a minute in case there are people listening that don't know what we're talking about. What what was it that happened that made you put this meme out about no stickers? And I, I mentioned it during the intro. You had received an email that if they find your stickers at nationals on the porta potty walls, you would be disqualified. Yeah, I, I'll kind of give you the. the a quick summarization of the whole thing. So it started in like, what is that? 2021. I got some stickers made. I was like, Oh, this is cool. I stuck a couple up inside the porta potties at my like local range and stuff. I know the people there, they don't care. And some people saw them and it became, Oh, this is hilarious. This is a funny joke. Okay. So I bring a bunch of stickers to nationals and I'm giving them to some of my buddies and stuff. And somebody stuck one or more up at nationals in 20, 21 I got pulled aside and read the riot act yelled at him like I'm sorry I didn't tell them to put them up there I wasn't going to do it here because it's kind of a big stage I wasn't doing that and that was about the end of that and then coming into nationals this year it was like two or three days before I flew out I get an email uh, a nice page, full page of wall of text from Troy the DNROI if anybody doesn't know but stating that if I, any of my stickers are found, whether or not they can prove I put them there or not, I'd be DQ'd from nationals. And I thought that was pretty, pretty above and beyond. Like I, I, I learned my lesson last year. I haven't even hardly been giving any out. If somebody asks, yeah, I'll give them, but I'm not like doing all that. And, and I responded as, as kindly as I could. I said, Hey, I don't want to put any up. There shouldn't be many of mine floating around. I'm not even going to bring any. If you happen to find any, just let me know and I'll take them down. So I didn't, nobody gets in trouble and we have a good match. Basically, it pulled down to me alerting my following to not put any stickers up of mine specifically. Yeah, that's what I, that's what that picture was. So interesting. So I guess there was no incident. Everything was good. No stickers were no, found. And none of mine. So somebody, uh, one of my buddies came up and told me there's a couple stickers of like they gave you stickers at nationals, like the range the match sponsors and whatnot. And somebody told me there was a couple in the porta potty by one of the bays we were on for our squad. And it's like, I can't miss this opportunity. So I went and <laughs> scraped those off and posted a little video about that. <laughs> Cause I did buy a plastic uh, sticker scraper on Amazon and brought that with me to nationals. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if you brought that with you or, or I was like, how in the world does he actually have that? Well, I totally brought it with, I was prepared. <laughs> Yeah, I've spent way more money on way dumber stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure that would only cost you like a dollar or two. So any issues were avoided. I shot a, a pretty solid Nationals. I was definitely happy with, and I know I left plenty on the table. So looking to come back strong in 2023. There you go. There you are peeling off the rangestore.net and an IWI <laughs> <laughs> sticker. That was good. Stickers found and eliminated. <laughs> yeah, I said I'm shooting a good match so far. I don't want to take any chances. That's right. <laughs> Just got to have fun with it. That's what it boils down to. It, you absolutely do. 
So now when did you first shoot a gun? Ooh, I've been shooting various guns most of my life. Kind of grew up, my dad's side of the family has like a family farm about an hour away from my house. We always hunted deer and ducks and all that stuff there. I bought my first pistol, I think in late 2017. And I was shooting that, it was just a Glock 17. And I was like, oh wow, this is fun. Let's just try to shoot faster and still hit the target. And I had no idea about any competition or anything. And at the price of ammo, even back then, I was like, this is kind of expensive. One of my buddies at work reloaded, so he kind of showed me the ins and out of that. This episode is brought to you by Laser App, L-A-S-R App. They specialize in laser dry fire training, super convenient, and not to mention super cheap. You can use anything for a dry fire target and any device with a camera for capturing the laser hits. There's even a 30-day money-back guarantee. And it's veteran-owned, Semper Fi, Ben. You can utilize multiple targets and multiple cameras. It can be as complex or as simple as your heart desires. They even sell steel challenge banners. They sell cert guns and the cert AR bolt so you can practice indoors with your AR for free. There's a newsletter and a forum you can join. When you sign up for the newsletter, they'll send you a free six-part video series. Check out their website. It's a smorgasbord of items to make you better faster. Use the affiliate link on our website or at the bottom of our podcast notes and on YouTube for a 15% discount. Also, use our coupon code in the store for 10% off of other items not necessarily covered by our affiliate link. Thanks for your support, everyone. Without your support, this podcast would be difficult to maintain. And I got into it and we were shooting all sorts of weird stuff, buying 10 millimeters and stuff because when you reload who cares about odd right. calibers and then i started listening to a couple different podcasts and you're like you reload and you don't shoot any sort of competition you're doing yourself a disservice I'm like okay so one of my coworkers is is pretty big in three gun and he actually brought me to my first uspsa match in like fall of 2018 and it's been okay. all in ever since i they they gave us a nice intro class and they were like it's kind of biased towards speed that's how hit factor works it's your points divided by your time so if you can go faster it'll usually pay off and oh man did i shoot a lot of mics in those first six or eight months (laughs) (laughs) i've been able to split the same the entire time i've only now started hitting things really well (laughs) okay so your your aim is caught up to your speed (laughs) yep that's that's a big big help there so that means you've only been doing this for four years and yeah gm so how long did it take you to get to gm i believe i made gm very early in 2020 okay so about two years a year and a half i have to look honestly i know it was right before i went to the florida open i think that might have been the no that was 2021 then yeah like february 2021 i made master in the fall of 2020 and i was like okay i didn't Really, I, I knew, I thought it was going to be a struggle to make master, and I made it here, and I just worked hard and really take in all the available information that's out there. There's just so much information, and if you can sift through it and and work, you get there, and then all of a sudden, I look, and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm one GM classifier away from making GM, and my, my indoor club set up TikTok, and I just burned that down, and then I was like, oh, cool, GM, and now I show up, and now you got to win a match to get anything, though. 
<laughs> no, uh, no more class wood for me, man. That's your, that's the downfall. Now, did you go to the Florida Open then in 2021 or 2020? 2021, I believe. I'm I was there in 2020. Correct. How did you like it? Uh, the 2021, it, I, if we're thinking of this, whichever one, it was the last one Shannon Smith did. Yep. I think that, that would have been the last one. That was 2021. Yeah, 2021. Yeah. Yep, that was the one. Oh, man, that was that was a new new world for me. I'd never seen anything quite like some of that stuff. Uh, the partial Ipsic swingers at like 30 yards. Uh, oh, like three people out of the entire match shot that stage without a miss. It was it was crazy, but it really showed me. I squatted with some really good open shooters, and it was a big learning experience that really kicked off everything. My really real drive to train that much harder and and the kind of things that were possible. Yeah, he says he likes to um, set up that match to see how many people he can make quit. <laughs> I can see it. It, it. it hurt. That was for sure. Yeah, I shot the one in 2020, and yeah, it was like, wow, this is a this is a different game. Yeah, we're we're debating. I I uh, recently became like the president of my local USPSA club, I guess, and we were thinking about doing a level two, but I'm like, I don't have a clue how that stuff works, so we're just gonna keep it a big level one, kind of like the Florida Open, and we're we're just kind of trying to decide on a theme if we want to make it really really hard, kind of Florida Open style, or that's, I got a, a couple of good buddies that want to help me. They just like, we need a theme. Okay, let's sit down and work on that. So that'll be my first foray into anything big. And that's like May 6th and 7th in 2023. Dan Timmy's crazy match. <laughs> find out. <laughs> Is there anything that you find interesting that you're going to add in there uh, for your own little spice? Um, maybe. I've been, been, uh, I've learned a lot of the thing I find I like in stages is just the little things like where to put a difficult target in series with like easy targets. So if somebody's just going to shoot it the easy way, if somebody new, newer, B class, whatever, they're going to run to a position and shoot it all and move. But somebody like me or like higher level GMs are going to try to shoot on the way in, shoot on the way out and just interspersing difficult targets that only become really difficult if you're going to try to shoot them on the move or shoot them out of position, stuff like that. That's kind of become my signature that I really enjoy. So you're going to, you're going to put some targets in there and make them respect them, huh? Yep. Yeah. It'd be like you, you come into a position and the first target on the way in will be like a really hard partial no shoot. So you'll mm-hmm. ideally you'd want to shoot the target on the way in if it's only seven yards, but you mm-hmm. got to either be brave and shoot a partial no shoot on the way in and then hose three open targets or come in on the second open target and then shoot the no shoot when you're set up and then shoot and see what kind of theme we come up with. But that's kind of been something I try to work into my my stage designs because I've been building stages for this club for the last two years. And we've gotten really positive, positive response from all the guys around Minnesota here. Okay, so you've got some experience already creating stages and whatnot, just not a whole match. Yeah, and, and I, I really draw. It helps. Like, I think I shot 12 majors this year, so I can draw from that kind of stuff. And, yeah, I, I, I try to shoot a lot. That seems to be the next logical progression is to get to those big matches and shoot against the best. And that's uh, the way to get get to be the best, hopefully. But I'll, I'll pull things off. Maybe I'll go back and watch match footage. Like, I really like this specific part of a stage, and I'll take that part of a stage and maybe build that and then try to build around it, build other stuff and and take these ideas I see that are really fun and, and work those into 
bigger stages or small stages. From fall of 2018 until February of 2021, when you shot the Florida Open, what did your training look like to get you from brand new to the sport to GM? It's always been very kind of messy, messy training. I don't put, I probably like say a lot. I need to put a lot more thought into it, more direction. I'm kind of the throw a bucket of bullets at it kind of guy. I shoot a ton. Like I shot probably <laughs> 45,000 rounds last year. I'm on, wow. I've been, I got a little, yeah, I got a little smarter this year. I'm only at like 30,000 on this year, maybe trying to be smarter with it, but it's just shoot a lot and, and take away honest feedback. You go to a match and you shoot it and, and you look at part and say, Oh wow, I was really bad at this, at this one specific thing. Then maybe I'll take and set up something like that on a practice day and just beat it into the ground until I'm good at it. And yeah, the honest feedback is the biggest thing. And just always be honest with yourself. And I was always trying to go faster. And sometimes you'll you'll have to go fast to learn how to go fast. If you can, yeah. And then you come into practice, and if you're shooting everything perfectly, you're going too slow. It's just plain and simple. There, I've always been biased towards speed, like I said from the beginning. So it's always been about letting my hits catch up and learning learning that sweet spot of, okay, I can't go to a match and just go as fast as I can. That'll never work. It'll just be a train wreck the whole time. And that's what I really focused on this year, especially, was kind of identifying that match mode at, a, at any specific stage. I was never, like, shooting as crazy as I could. Like a lot of the stages I've done best on, I'm, I could look back and I could shoot it again and probably do just that well again. And and it's always been about pushing that level of comfort. And I, I kind of developed that level of comfort just by shooting so much. And have you have you trained with anybody? Ah, uh, yeah, I've actually taken I think three, four classes from Ben Stoger. I really really like his training style and his no nonsense appeal to things. That's really pushed me far. I took a my first class with him was or fall of 2019, so I was still B class when I took that class, and and that really, really kind of put put the the fuel in the fire, and it went really crazy since then. And that was really eye opening. When the biggest thing in those intro classes he does, he kind of teaches you to be your own worst critic. Effectively, he, he teaches you how to identify and feel when you're doing something wrong. They'll teach you the right way to do it and show you and get you to do it right a few times. And then you have to take that away and do it every time. And, and eventually you'll know what feels right and, and doesn't. And then it comes down to, at a higher level, it's just always pushing speed and maybe maybe breaking down other people's videos a lot of times and, and just seeing some things. I'll throw a shout out to my buddy, Matt Hempel, who's a, just a beast of a shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say over last winter, I kind of started to talk with him a little bit, and I saw how fast he can transition, like just insane. So I really, really took that style and just ran with it. And like, I got to do that as fast. If he can do it that fast, why can't I? So I just seeing. Did he give you any drills to or any insight as to how he does that? Not really. It's just more or less going fast enough and and making it work. You got to let your vision catch up. Yeah, it was never really any drills. It's it's just doing it until you're comfortable. I'm trying to find the best way to describe it. But like, take for example, two open targets at seven yards, and you want to put two on one, two on the other, and that transition as fast as you can. Do it 20 times, 
and you'll notice you're going to drop a mic in between the targets sometimes. And the only way to like, like you have to allow yourself to miss, I guess is where I was trying to start with. You're going to do it. You're going to miss. And then just try and identify what your gun's doing and how soon you can take your gun up after that second shot on the first target. And just uh, seeing some of his video and showing me like, what was possible is kind of what led me down that path more than anything. So I imagine whatever talks and practice you've done, um, stage two at nationals. Yeah. I hooked up on that one pretty well. I'm pretty proud of that. Because the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is I imagine this is exactly what you were just talking about. And I figured I'll go ahead and share it with everybody. And then you hit, you said all alphas. Yep. All and alphas. Time, well, I couldn't quite see the timer, but still fast. I mean, your your hit factor was 13.38, so super fast. Yeah, most of the um, time, a big thing I'm pulling this winter is my draw. That's usually what hinders me on stuff like that. I've never had a, a fast draw. I get a, I kind of got to get into my grip very specifically to be able to split and like recoil control the way I do. So it's been a struggle to speed it up. Like, I want to get into that sub-second stuff, but I'm usually, like, on that, I was probably 1.1, and it's like, that's just free real estate when you're somebody like Isaac Lockwood, for example. He's going to pull, like, a 70 draw on that stage. It's like, oh. Yeah, with, with the with the shots <laughs> in the alpha. So with that stage, like, I kind of came into it and said, okay, I'm not going to push as hard as I can. Like, that's a, the big learning curve for some people is that's not a stage where you're going to just shoot as fast as you possibly can. I'm going to shoot at a pace that I know I've shot before in practice or in other matches in similar situations. And it was just about timing the getting your gun out and have it ready, stepping on the pad, shooting, and then just shooting and, and knowing your shots. Like there was no pushing there. It was all like predetermined pace. I've done it before. I know I can do it. And it's just like kind of, kind of having the comfort. Um, yeah. Com comfortable knowing that you can do it. Because you've done it in practice, and that's what like shooting a lot in my fire helps. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine this stage is exactly set up for what you were just talking about, you know, with your transitions. In this one right here, on that middle target, I stomped as I drew, and when I came in, I had my first shot was just outside the alpha, and then oh. my other two were right in the middle of the alpha. So it was like, oh, bang, bang, bang. It's one of those where if you're not careful, like you were saying, when you were practicing, you could have easily dumped one between the targets if you're rushing it. Yeah, it can become something like that becomes more of a mental stage too sometimes just to not not push beyond your limits because that's just that's what they're drawing you in to do. They're like, oh, these targets are easy. They're close. They're fast. Right. Just light it on fire. Me a year ago, blah, 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 it probably would have been even faster, but probably drug a Delta across one of the targets for sure. <laughs> like, well, and I wonder how many people got a no shoot on that one too. Yeah. There was definitely the, the debate to shoot on the middle target first. And it was just about knowing that I could get to that left target and how fast I could come to the center. See, I went left center, right. That's what I did as well. But I felt that that wide open target on the left where there was no danger for anything made it easier to just go ahead and engage. And then, and it was a, a narrow transition. So you're not moving far. No, you'd mentioned now, Isaac's, uh, Isaac Lockwood's bill drill, right? 
Yeah. Well, that one. And did you see? He just came out with a new drill, uh, like oh, yeah. last day, like yesterday, and I was like, Yeah. I mean, this guy is going to rewrite the rules of speed shooting. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Just he phenomenal. is crazy fast. I think he's doing a scoop draw too. Oh, big time! Yeah, yeah, it's all scoop. I, I don't know Literally. how he does it. I would be throwing that gun everywhere. I don't Definitely. know how people do this scoop draw. I really don't. That that is that would take me a long time to get right. Right, he, he could put on a, a the Isaac Lockwood scoop draw class. Boom! First yeah. half of the day, unloaded guns because you're gonna throw it around. <laughs> I, I would almost uh, just bring a like a blue gun or a red, you know, just a plastic fake gun because that thing's going to be launching. Yeah, and I, I've I messed around. I've messed around with the scoop draw a little bit, and I find I could I could get it down there, but I don't get into the grip that I'm used to. Right. So it's like that's it's it's affecting. It's either okay, get a fast draw and a poor grip, and I'll take my extra couple tenths and get my good grip, so I can really rip the splits on the twenty yard targets. You know, that's a Another big thing, I, I think I heard Mason Lane talk about it. How, like, if you can shoot alphas on the far stuff where pe other people can't, other, pe other people can't, and you're just going to just stack points on them. At Nationals, I overheard, at Nationals, I overheard um, Nils talking, because I was, I made sure I shot opposite of the super squads so I could watch them, both the men's and the women's. And I was hanging around. I heard Nils talking to somebody one day saying, um, you know, enough Charlies, and now you basically have, you've shot a mic. So you could see, and I'm like, you know, he's absolutely right, and I never looked at it that way. I mean, he just completely looks at things different. And But that's a good way of looking at it. I was like, yeah, never even, but it goes back to like Mason, you know, if you're stacking alphas on them, and these guys have, you know, two or three Charlies, well, now you've just, they've, in essence, shot a mic. So, very interesting so we, the way they think, you know. Yeah, and I'm a lot of people talk about like the hit, doing hit factor math inside your head and stuff, and I'm not quite to that point. I don't get quite that involved. I just kind of assess target difficulty and distance, and that'll determine. But I'm always looking at the alpha zone. Like in theory, no Charlie is acceptable. If you got a five yard target, yeah, I'm going to shoot it at basically max trigger speed, but I still want to wait till. I have that appropriate sight picture on a five yard target. It's going to be like a flash of red dot, but yeah, like when it comes down to this episode is brought to you by gun butter. Gun butter is a premier lubricant for your rifle or pistol. They have grease for parts that need it like lugs on a bolt gun. Man, do I love a bolt gun. It's a proprietary blend that they won't even trademark so as not to have to give away their trade secrets. Check out the video I put up on YouTube. Uh, look for another one coming soon. I even ran into Rick Powers, an RO at Carry Optics Nationals. He switched to it after listening to our podcast with Mason Litchfield. He loves it. Rob Epiphania uses and loves it. Frank Shu uses it and loves it. Use Casual Shooter 20 and save 20% on checkout. Your longer targets, your 25-yard targets, stuff like that, if you can... You can work that more in practice. I've found and really ensure alphas on those. You statistically, most people are going to start dropping Charlies on stuff like that. So if you can have that be a strong suit of yours, I feel like that's a big, big step in the right direction. Now you said you took three or four of Ben's classes. 
So I'm sure you've taken different ones and not just the same one. Yeah, the the first one I took was just the practical shooting fundamentals in 2019. And then I did the, the PSTG Summit. I think it was mm. in 2021. Okay. I, I went to that. I wasn't able to go to the whole thing, but I lived close enough that I was able to go for a whole day, and it was just phenomenal. And then this year I had Ben out for his advanced class for me and and some of the other really good shooters around the upper Midwest here. We had a lot of the, we basically had all of the Midwest carry optics heat in that class. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> the upper Midwest at least. Oh, wow. And then I had so much interest in that, that I put together a fundamentals class that Ben and Joel Park came out and did at a, my local range in August, I think. Yeah, I think it was in August. So did we had 24 you people. Yeah, that was a, Whoa, yeah, I participated, wow. and yeah, I had initially had Ben set up to come out, and I filled the class in, in like a couple days, and I know I know Ben and Joel work together a lot and do the PSCG stuff, right. so I got in touch with Joel said, hey, can you come out, and if I can fill a double class, you guys both come out, and filled it up, no problems. Wow. But yeah, I did participate in that class, and it was a little different being the class organizer, but that was okay, and it was definitely very valuable still to even retake a fundamentals class because Ben will well, tailor stuff individually. He'll, he, the guy next to you might be a, a five-year cop veteran that's this is his first class and he's doing stuff and, and Ben comes and watches you and he's like, faster, do it faster, 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 <laughs> like go faster. <laughs> it's okay to miss. I want to see you run the ragged edge in, in your practice. That's kind of, where the most learning happens is just at the absolute ragged edge of, of what you can do in practice. Interesting. So how much, how, and the reason I asked if you participated was how much stuff do you think you picked up from that fundamentals, that basic fundamental class that you think you missed the first time? Um, I paid attention pretty closely, but it was nice to have him identify what I was doing now. That's the real value add. I feel for his classes versus somebody else that might be teaching similar curriculum is that he, he'll you be doing stuff like, Oh, doubles. Like I was fantastic at his doubles drill. So I've done a lot of that continue to, and then you were running a drill where you kind of run up around the barrel, a little bit of movement and it's an easy target and a hard target. He's like, you get really tense when you transition to that far target. And when you speed up, because I'm telling you to speed up, you get really tense and you start to push shots off and off. I'm like, okay, see, I never would have noticed that myself. That's something that's really hard to self-diagnose. So yeah. when you perceive your shot difficulty increasing, you can tense up and then tensing up, your shots are going to be a lot more erratic. And, and yeah, but the big value add is just the personal time everybody gets in the class once you kind of get a handle on what you're doing. I noticed the first few stages at nationals, it was like I had Alzheimer's and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I realized I was gripping the gun so hard to try to shoot it like an open gun. So it wouldn't move. It would just come straight back and forth. And everything was so tense that it was literally just shaking. And I was like, it took like three stages. And I'm like, what is going on? Why do I, what? In the and then I realized, oh, you are squeezing that gun so freaking hard and clamping your arms together so hard that everything's just moving. Yeah, the tension can just bleed into everything when you're you're too tense. I've always carried a lot of tension in my shoulders and I've just had to kind of deal with it, but that helped Ben pointed out like when it was excessive versus not and 
and just consciously like letting your shoulders drop, stop holding them up and, and just let your hands do their job and shooting drills like doubles so you can get that kind of unconscious grip grip you need. You, you work through that and you develop how hard you need to grip the gun for it to return and then you don't do anything extra. You, you start choking your gun out and all you're going to do is tense up everything through the arms and the neck and it slows down your transitions, your visual acuity and, and that's well, some of the... What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on videoing your practice? And the reason I ask is um, I was thinking that I wasn't gripping the gun hard enough, like there was too much recoil. Um, and I went back and looked at my match videos, and I'm like, no, my the recoil is good. So that's where I'm finding that I, you know, if I did not go back and look at that specifically for that, I wouldn't have known. And then again, I get to nationals, and I'm doing. I'm overdoing it. I don't do very much live fire. I do all dry fire when I do it. So, but what are your thoughts on? Videoing practice is, is definitely good. It, like I, I treat it almost the same as match video. Like I'll go back. I think I'm due soon to watch my nationals video again and just kind of pick it apart some more and, and stuff. I'm kind of in the middle of an off season. I just said, I don't need to do anything practice wise until like January. Otherwise I go insane really uh really breaking it down is is extremely helpful like i've gotten to the point where i can kind of feel it feel my way through it at least uh gun handling and that kind of stuff in in practice i kind of feel what i'm doing but it's like um like gun handling and grip and stuff like that kind of goes subconscious for me and now it's it's at a certain level it becomes a big focus on on just movement aggression and what you're doing with your feet and getting ready and entering and exiting positions, which I could probably start videoing some of that. And that'd be pretty valuable information to really show you. But that becomes a big thing. Like I was saying, when you're, you're at the point where you could subconsciously shoot all the points and now it becomes, how do you just do it faster? Right. But video is a fantastic tool across the board. You just got to take the time and pick it apart and watch one specific thing, play it again, maybe watch something else. How are you recording your shooter's point of view when you're shooting these matches? I've got a Insta360 GoTo. Jumped on that bandwagon pretty early. So okay. light. I tried to shoot with like a GoPro on a hat, and my hat would fall off. I run too fast, apparently. Hat falls off. <laughs> Stuff like that. It's kind of surprising, but yeah, you have I mean... my hat start to come off at stage one at nationals, and it was pretty hilarious. I had time because you're only strong hand only or whatever. So I reach up and pull my hat down and you can hear Luigi, Luigi Lee. He was videoing for me. Uh, he says, top of the morning to you, which I never <laughs> didn't know until I watched the whole video. I was like, oh, that's fantastic. Oh, but, goodness. So that, yes, that was, that was a great squad to be on with that guy. I shot with him a year ago at Nationals. That guy's a riot. Oh, I love the guy. Never, never mm. ending source of amusement. Yeah, exactly. That guy is an absolute riot. Now you, a couple of things you mentioned, well, one I wanted to say, you know, you've, in just two years, you've shot 75,000 rounds. So I imagine, you know, you're not worried about how, how tight you're gripping the gun and stuff like that. That's all worked out for you. But you mentioned an off season. Do you normally take an off season every year? Yeah, I found it starting last year. I took one um, like the year before, I really didn't, and that was okay. I wasn't quite, didn't quite know, and now this year, like, I really found, especially, like, my family deserves it, too. 
we get some nice weather in the fall here and spend as much time as I can with the kids and the wife and all that. And it's kind of just good for your mental sanity. And it, it, it really uh, makes you fired up and motivated when you come back into it. Like, you know, I shoot like a bi-weekly match indoors just kind of for fun. Like what I'm doing right now with that is just going as fast as humanly possible. I don't care if I miss, I'm just shooting the gun as fast as I can. So kind of, the only way to get faster is to go faster. So that's what I do there. Not really training wise, but the, yeah, the off season becomes pretty big, gets you motivated. And as you give you a fresh approach, and when I get in. It, get, is this going to be a shorter off season because nationals being in June? Oh, maybe. I keep telling myself I'll start up again around the first of the year, but who knows, maybe by the time, late December, early December comes along. If I'm shooting my local match and I feel really rusty, like that's what I did last year. I noticed I'm like, wow, I feel rusty. I feel like I can't shoot as fast as I should. Things don't feel great. So that's when I got back into really practicing hard again, but just being more ammo conscious too for that. I might start dry firing again, middle of December, whenever it strikes me. But, but then I'll, once I get into the year because of the early nationals, I'll, I'll hit it pretty hard in that February, March, usually because it snows here. It's, it's the frozen tundra up here. It's yeah. terrible. So I mean, you're it's basically mostly, the Southern Arctic circle there. <laughs> yeah. We're South Canada big time here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But so we don't, I won't shoot outside again until late February, early March. So I, I hit the indoor range. Like when I'm start practicing again, like once a week and I'll do 500 rounds a week and do doubles and anything I can do. I've got a great indoor range, stock and barrel. They let you draw from the holster if you take the class and you shoot as fast as you want. And if, like nobody's on the second lane, I can roll two targets out to do transitions and stuff, stuff like that. And then hit the dry fire hard. Now, when you shoot the indoor range, are you able to collect your brass? Yep, yep. They're really good about it as long as you're getting your stuff, you know, mine. It helps that one of the one of the part owners of the range is the USPSA shooter, one of my good buddies. So yeah, that's that a pretty help. awesome range to have. Um, you said you shot last year's nationals. So are those your first two, or did you shoot before that? That's my first two. Okay, so you've only shot nationals at CMP then? Yep. What did you think of CMP, first off? Um, I don't have a lot to compare it to, I guess. Um, like, like some places, it could use more bays. The split bay thing doesn't ever work too great. It worked a lot better this year than it did last year. It had a little bit of the kinks worked out, and, and everything was pretty smooth sailing this year. I thought it wouldn't be the end of the world if they had it there again, but we'd sure like more bays so you can get more stages. Like, it'd be awesome to have 20, 22 stages, something like a, the biggest nationals there is, you know, carry optics only. But yes. otherwise, it was fine. Watching the shotgun video at CMP is always funny. Luckily, I didn't have to this year because my card was still good from last year. <laughs> so was mine. So that was nice. <laughs> I can't believe I found it in my reloading room. It's like, yes, I don't have to watch it again. I, it was still in my wallet. I was like, whoa, all right. <laughs> Smart me. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm totally with you there. Um, I agree with the split uh, bays. I thought it ran really well this year. In comparison to last year, I think it also helped. So I don't know about production um, and race gun nationals, but you know, this year we didn't have anybody that had to shoot in the dark like last year. Um, and I, 
Yeah, big plus. And, but we also shot it, what, five weeks earlier. So that helps. But I, I haven't, I didn't hear of anybody at Race Gun or Production slash PCC Nationals that had to shoot in the dark either. So that was a big plus. Yeah, it's kind of nice to wake up a little later. A lot of the majors I go to around here start shooting at like 7 30, 8 o'clock and woo, wake up bright and early to, to get there. Better yeah. than shooting in the dark. Absolutely. You said you shot 12 majors this year. Yeah, I think it's 12. I'd have to, I don't okay. I don't remember, honestly. <laughs> At okay. least 11, so, maybe 12. Okay. What area matches did you shoot? I shot Area 3 and Area uh, area 6, the one in North okay. Carolina. Yeah, that's, that was Area 6. So now of all the major matches and ranges you've shot at, which one have you enjoyed the most? I'd say the size and scope of the, the Grand Island range is very nice. The weather is never perfect there, but it was actually really good this year. There was, wasn't much wrong with area area six. There's some of the smaller bays, and maybe that was more of a stage design thing, thing than a range issue. They had staff reset there, though, and that was really cool. Oh, did uh, you get out faster? God, oh, crazy fast. The second day, we shot like six stages in two hours. It was insane. Oh, like, this is nuts. We're done already. I could have I could have flown out tonight instead of tomorrow morning. So wow. if I go if I get back to that one, I'll just probably shoot it in one day format and be able to save save some vacation time. Yeah, I, I feel like I mean if it's a staff reset and you're shooting that fast, that's a that's an easy match to shoot all in one day. Absolutely, probably save five or eight miles by not resetting when you're uh, regular <laughs> yeah. match. Oof. Another one, I guess I shot Dragon stuff this year. That range is pretty oh. pretty awesome, pretty close format and everything. Other than the heat. That one was awesome. Ooh, they got it like a, almost a month earlier next year, so I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely try and make it for that. I might. I actually been thinking about ROing that. I got the email and I was like, you know what? Why not? Sure, I just go out so, there and suffer for three days. Well, it's gonna be in April, so it should. It's it's like oh, I said, a okay. month earlier. And then uh, my issue you. last year was my issue last year was I shot it in one day just because I wanted to get on a squad with some cool kids, and that was oof, don't shoot it in one day and then heat. And that was only in May. Yeah, it was it was like 110, and I was at one at like not to make excuses, but I was like I figured out I was too focused on not dying rather than shooting good. And, <laughs> oh, I wasn't used to the heat yet. I came when I left my house in Minnesota to go to Dragon's Cup. It was like 40 degrees. <laughs> yeah, that was quite the temperature swing. Yeah, for sure. There, there's no acclimating to that in a day. But it's a dry heat, you know, so it shouldn't have been too bad. Well, then you get, it was like, it was a legitimate struggle to stay hydrated. Like, I never drank that much water and, and uh, liquid IV in my life, and you were still dehydrated. Like, you kid, it was, it, it was not, like nothing else I've seen before, but the match was great, so that was a plus. Yeah, you legitimately have to start your hydration a week early for that. What are your thoughts on Nationals being in Ohio, number one, number two, in June? like the earliness of it just because it doesn't seem to be the natural culmination of the year you know like i'm gonna shoot may, maybe shoot another major or two after nationals next year and it'll just be like okay right but it's it's the time isn't the biggest issue um ohio doesn't bother me let's just hope the range is is going to be up to par like they say it is i guess if it's if the range turns out great sure that's fine i'm I'm all for it. You know, it's it's close enough that me and a couple of buddies could drive if we really felt like it. It ends up being like 11 hours for me. So that's right at the edge of what I can survive driving. <laughs> that's what uh, my drive time was 
to CMP from where I'm at, 10 to 11 hours. I'm actually excited that Ohio is like eight hours. Yeah, hours like I can less bring my range cart. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that gets old sitting in the car for that long. What right. a sport to pick. Yeah, but it's nice to be able to bring everything you want to bring, you know? Definitely. Not struggling with the suitcase. and uh, gotten pretty good yeah. at it my last flight to nationals i was like perfect i knew exactly what and this had everything dialed in and was nowhere close to the weight limit on the suitcase now you have shot frost proof even though it was the florida open so you've you've shot around a little bit so i'm gonna throw this scenario at you ye men calls you up and says tim you are picking nationals for 2024 but you have to do it right now what range are we going to probably have to be frostproof that's the only one with the facilities to to make it what i think would be an appropriate size you know it might be not close to a lot of major things but it's cheap to fly to florida most of the time they got bazillions of bays there i'd like to check what's left of the place after that hurricane rolled through i haven't seen anything out of there hopefully that didn't get uh steamrolled but yeah that's yeah. one of the would be the biggest range i could think of yeah i like sure. the layout how close the bays are you could see other squads shooting pretty easily you can just look across the little road and let's build a range just like that somewhere else and it'd be perfect <laughs> exactly yeah i mean that's what i said the only complaint i had um this year with trying to follow the super squads was it was great when they started shooting each day the men would start on the first stage and the women would start on the second stage. But at the end of the day of them shooting, the men were at the end of the stage and the women were at the beginning. And it's like, there's no way you're so far away. You can't see either. So you have to pick and choose. So for me, I was like, well, Nils has it in the bag going into the last stage. Unless something catastrophic happens, he has such a big lead. He's got it in the bag, but the women, there's three of them within like 10 points of each other, 15 points of each other. I'm like, I'm going to go hang out down here because all the drama is going to be there. But at Frostproof, I'd just be able to stand right there and watch everybody. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, that layout is just very well well thought out. It is. I'd almost like to see CMP. I don't know if they have the space for it on the backside. I can't tell where their boundary line is of their property. But they're, if there's enough room there, they have room to – or they have – a way they could add more bays and basically turn it into a big circle, a big loop and Ooh. almost have like a, a zone D. That'd be ideal. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well that, and then you got to go and get pe You got to get the restaurants to stay open. Holy cow. Matt Hopkins and I were trying to get a bite to eat and, and chat a little bit Saturday night. It's like seven thirty, eight o'clock and everything in Talladega was shut down. Everything. Yeah. I think we went somewhere Saturday night and, we got there and they had 20 minutes till they closed. We're like, well, we still service. Just yeah, it's crazy. But that's the South for you. Everything's a little different down there. <laughs> yeah. And it was weird too, because last year I stayed in Oxford. So Northeast of the range and everything was there. There was stuff open 24 hours a day, like the um, Waffle House, you know, everything was open. So I'm like, well, I'm, I was 25 to 30 minutes from the range. I'm like, if I stay in Talladega, I can be, 12 minutes from the range. I'm like, I like that idea. So I went to Talladega and then I got there and I'm like, uh, I feel like the entire area down here south of the range is completely abandoned. There's nothing down here. <laughs> it's a wasteland. You caught the bug. You've taken four classes. You, you were 19th at nationals, which is awesome. Now, what are your goals 
for shooting in USPSA? I'd like to put down a lot more like level two wins. I came incredibly close like three times this year. Like we're talking less than 1%, I think, uh, three times this year. And then I'd like to put down some of those and, and make Super Squad in 2023 nationals so it's gonna be my goal i think i was was pretty close looking just looking back at the last stages on day three um i like the the eight reload eight stage i did what everybody else that wasn't paying attention did and did a bonus reload and <laughs> it's like you go back and i take two seconds off of that run and i would have been 14 it's like oh i can't believe it wow so, the, the that much ifs, of a difference it was yeah, it was big. I was like, in, it was crazy. Yeah, and that, that was a lot of too. little things. Why do you think so many people did that? Oh, it was it just so burned into your mental that the get the reload, nail the reload, do a good reload, and so it was just four alpha, super fast, crispy like sub second reload. Oh no, four more alpha, <laughs> terrible reload because it came from my second pouch, and then the other other four. Eight shots and oh, I set that. I actually set that stage up. I tried to copy it at my local match early in October here and and got redemption and just crushed it. So it's like okay, I knew what I was capable of. Yeah, mental game at that point. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I watched um, when the men's and women's super squad started day one. That was zone C was where they started. So I was watching the men on the left side and the women on the right, and I saw several women on the super squad do the same thing. And I was like, uh, okay, interesting. <laughs> but you can see yeah. at the end, they're like, oh, son of a. Now you bring up mental. Have you taken any mental management classes, tried reading any books, tried talking to any sports psychologist, anything like that? Um, I, other than reading the match mentality by Ben Soger and Joel Park. That's about all I've done. And then just kind of put it into practice and really thought about it and, and learned a lot over the last year and a half. Like, so last year at nationals, it really showed I was on zone C and it was obvious. It seemed like the hardest zone to me by mm -hmm. far. So that was my last one. I came out of day two doing pretty well. I was like, okay, let's, let's go. And I'm looking at scores and doing this, doing that. And, just nosedived me. I got too far into the scores and I tried to push and and just mm. bad things happened. I wasn't I wasn't there yet. So this year I was just learned a lot about um a lot about mental mental management to steal whatever Steve Anderson's term, but <laughs> but the the big thing that any pressure you feel is is pressure you brought with you to that match. Like it's it's such an individual sport when you break USPSA down. Nobody's yes. gonna if you, if your name's not first, nobody cares. <laughs> like they don't remember you, so it's all it's all up to you. You know the pressure you feel you brought with. Period, plain and simple. So, and then it became about not not a subconsciously or consciously trying to push at matches. You should be shooting to the ability you know you have. You know, and, and really not like oh I can push a, a little bit here, and, and maybe that's that might be a skill I'm working on developing too. That's kind of the net, the other next level is the ability to fudge a little bit and maybe push that, but not that. But just shooting to a known ability versus just throwing caution to the wind and letting it burn. Do you think there's room in the sport for people like, say, Ben Steger put on classes that are just about competing 
for the upper echelon guys that are looking to take that. You made GM. So, you know, 95% of your skill is there. Now you've got to take that next step. Like you're saying, you want to win more majors, more level twos, things like that. So now you've got to learn what it takes mentally to bring your mental game up to where your skill level is. Do you think there's room in the sport for that type of a class for people in the master GM area? That's a really interesting question. There's, I think there's so many different uh, mindsets of people that mm -hmm. it could be really difficult to get class specifically. I think you'd have to go more one-on-one -on -one at a point. You know, there's there's a lot of information out there, and, and what you make of it is is exactly that. What you make of it, you gotta take that, and and maybe certain people like note takers. If you start taking a lot of notes, I've seen plenty of people with notepads. They'll write notes about their stage right after they shot it. You know, and I'm like, that'd be good. I'm not disciplined enough to do that. That's that's pretty intense. But I just I do a lot of things by gut feel. Okay, I know how that felt, and that didn't feel good. Don't do that, or or that. But I know, like, uh, the practical training, practical shooting training group that TSCG, they've got, like, a, a gold section you can do. So they do, like, one-on-one -on -one training. And I think that could be a valuable tool where they can look, you send them your whole major match video, you know, and, and they might try and pick your brain on, on your mindset during that. And, and they'd be able to identify, hey, what happened on this specific stage? What were you thinking? What was going through your head? Did something happen before that made you made you think you need to speed up and push. I think it'd be really difficult to get a whole class together though. I think it becomes really individualized to a specific person at that upper level. Everybody deals with things so differently. All right, well that, that leads into the next part then. What are your thoughts on coaching? Coaching, like, as in like, if you had a shooting coach specifically? Yep. Or, okay, and Tom. what, and, and, I'll even take it a step further for you. Um, Cause I was talking to Yi Min was on my squad this year at national, my squad. We were on the same squad together and it's we were talking squad. about, okay. <laughs> and we were talking, you know, I, I was talking to him about, you know, Hey, you know, what about streaming nationals? And even if you want to put it behind a paywall, you know, just charge five or 10 bucks for the three days, you're going to get a lot of people who are going to pay just to be able to watch the super squad, oh. stuff like that. But then my thought was, well, if you do that, you could even have, for example, uh, JJ's father is usually shoots with him at major match. And uh, one of the guys who's been on this podcast was saying they shot at area eight on the same squad. And there was a lot of, a lot of chitter chatter between JJ's dad and JJ about different stuff. So he's kind of like, you know, he's been with him since he was a kid shooting so he's kind of like his coach, you know, hey, I've noticed you've been doing this or doing that. Now you get up into the higher levels, you're streaming it. Wanzik Kim said that, what was it, uh, that first three years ago at Frostproof, at the end of day one, he was in the lead. He had no idea what to do. He didn't know what to think. It was like, oh my God, I didn't expect to be here. You know, he was really like concerned. Absolutely. And I, I know the feeling. Yeah. And I feel like, okay, what if you had a coach that could not necessarily talk you down, but keep you focused, keep you going, you know, in the correct direction. And let's say Ben was his coach. Then he could, Ben could literally watch him shoot the stages as he's doing it from Wisconsin. 
and at the end of each stage, I actually talked to him for a couple of minutes about, you know, what he did, what he saw, and keeping him level-headed. That's the type of thing I mean with coaching. Yeah, that's very interesting. I wonder how many people could process that level of, of information and use it would be another thing. That'd be, it'd be a very high level thing, I feel like, but, but it's, it's definitely useful. Like I've got a, a newer shooter. He actually just started like over last winter, either early 22 here and he's coming up. I think he's still unclassified, but he shoots my local and stuff. And I've had, had him out a few times to, to practice with me. And the kid is making insane strides. Like just, I think he had us, um, I think he either had or almost had a stage win in carry optics at the Iowa section. And mm. you can see that I've kind of taken him under my wing. I'm like, I wish I had somebody like me that did that when I started out. Cause I learned a lot of stuff by myself and it was, it was not easy. Right. So I can, I can see a huge benefit to that. If you can find something or set that up or, or just the way to do it would be interesting. But I, I told him, I'm like, when you start beating me, I'm going to stop helping you so much. <laughs> I'm like, I think the day's coming. He's doing really well. But it's, it's also benefited me when I'm like explaining an idea or, a, or, a, or something I saw him do wrong. It helps me understand it better sometimes by explaining it too. So it can really be beneficial for both people to, to kind of be a coach, I guess. So I think well, more and, people could look into doing that. Yeah, I mean, look at Tiger Woods. As great as he was at the height of his greatness, he still had a, a swing coach. And when he would start doing things wrong, he would be like, no, this is what you're doing wrong. This is how you fix it. That guy wasn't a world champion. That guy wasn't anywhere near Tiger Woods' abilities, but he knew Tiger well enough and he knew the swing and how it works to be able to coach him. So I kind of feel like you don't have to be necessarily a Ben Steger or a Max Michelle or a JJ to coach somebody if you can witness, like, like I bet Joel Park would be a good coach. Yeah, you just have to be able to connect with somebody. And you obviously have to have a really solid uh, shooting level proficiency and stuff like that. But, but yeah, you don't have to be some super squad GM, I feel like, to, to do that. It's just a level of proficiency and then the right person being able to connect with people. And, and I think it helps to have a coach maybe who's uh, like insulated from your match performance. When you're your own coach, you're going to, all you have to see is results. You know, that's, that's the only thing you have sometimes. So that's, that's a big one. That's why I think video is such a good tool because you come out and be like, okay, this was my finish at the match. What do, what do I got? I got all this video that I can, can look back on and then it flashes you back, teleports you to that stage, basically. And you're like, oh, I remember that was a really hard position. Yeah, the coaching idea is really interesting. Yeah, and I still feel like you can you can garner a lot of information from your own video, but it's still not the same as if I were to upload my video and you look at it and you go, oh, and you, you see things that I would not have seen just because yeah, I, I mean, have some internal bias of the way I do things. Definitely. I mean, that's what Practical Shooting Training Group does. Are you very familiar with that? I, I am aware, and I've been on the site, you know, looking around and stuff. So I'm I am familiar with it. I'll put it that way. Yeah, they, they've got, like, levels of membership. I stay just the bronze member so I can see all the videos and stuff and talk with everybody. You can do, like, a next-level membership where you'll send in like match video and they just have like, like the same software they use for like football games, whatever that is. And they could pick it apart for you. I've done that a handful of times in the past and I thought it was really beneficial. So that's it's a lot like what you're describing. And I think that's a resource. A lot of people can look into 
just takes a serious person. Obviously, you got to spend money on it, but look at the money you spend on ammo versus the money you could spend on this very concentrated training. Right. And then if you take, let's say you have a, an ammo budget, this is like, let, we'll take your year. You know, you spent 45,000, you shot 45,000 rounds in 2021. If you took 15,000 rounds of that budget and turned that into PSTG budget, maybe, you know, you can only shoot 30,000 rounds, but it's going to be so focused that your gains are quicker. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's so much more valuable. That's That was my idea with like the first Ben Soger class I took. I was like, wow, this class is kind of expensive. I know like Ben Soger is obviously an incredibly good shooter. I did a lot of research and I was like, honestly, you could go throw a thousand rounds downrange for the price or you bring that ammo take the class. That ammo is 10 times more valuable shot in front of Ben Soger than it ever would be outside of it. You know, you look at your, your value. Now, do you have any um, Ipsic goals? I would like to shoot some Ipsic matches, honestly. Like, that's no real goals, but I'd like to get out and shoot some. I'd like to try to get down to Florida whenever the one next one I can find down there is, eventually get maybe over in Europe. I know there's, I was looking into shooting something in Canada, but that might be difficult with their new handgun laws. So I'm not sure how that'll work. A lot of people, more people shoot tampos outside of the United States than in the States. So maybe I could just borrow somebody's gun. Something I'd have to look into. That was kind of a goal is to get up there and shoot a, like a provincial match or something. What about like the Caribbean Open? I'd absolutely like to go back to that one of those. It's just, see, I, the, the amount I shoot, it's like, do I spend more money practicing or, or flying and traveling to a, a state's major, you know? And I don't know. I mean, you said you have a wife and kids, so that obviously plays into it as well so absolutely does yep i, I definitely yeah. pushed my limits with 11 or 12 majors this year that's for sure yeah i can imagine what's the age range of your kids if you don't mind my asking uh, my son is five years old and my daughter is just about to turn eight the younger they are the harder it is yeah i miss i miss them pretty quick so it's it's always a hurry to get home mine are 20 and 22 so it doesn't matter <laughs> take care of yourselves right yeah, yeah, yeah you know. Just, I'm counting the days. I figure I got a couple more years of shooting, shooting good in me, and then then my son will be older, and maybe he'll get into it. He already likes shooting. We were just out this morning shooting his, his uh, 22. He's been big into that, so I'm pretty excited. Okay. I got my son a uh, 17 cal rifle when he was 10. That thing is a Like the, the 17 HMR? Yeah. Or which one? Yeah, I've got a savage one of those big heavy barrel. God, you can shoot. We we shoot the pop the caps off pop bottles at a hundred yards all days all day with those. Yeah, it's crazy how how great those things are. Yeah, I was I, I was pretty proud of my son this morning. I, usually, I put up a popper at like fifteen yards for him, and I wasn't paying attention. And I just set the popper out, and me and my one of my buddies were zeroing deer rifles because we're coming up on deer opener next weekend here, just double checking zero and stuff and. I set the popper out. My son's wailing on it. I'd say 75% of hits. Then I ranged it before we leave, and it's like 35 yards. I'm like, wow, little man. I'm nice. pretty impressed today. 35 yards of, with a mini popper with just a red dot on a full 22 rifle. So it's like got some got some prowess already. I'm proud of him. <laughs> there you go. Have you heard of this Prairie Fire rank competition? Just a tiny bit. Isn't it like, is it over yet, or is it going on right now, I think? It's going on this weekend. Last I saw, it was um, 
They had finished stages one and two, and they were moving into stage three, so they were down to the final 32 people. So um, is it all virtual? Is that what I saw? No. Or what is they are? No, I just saw virtual Texas. shooting. I'm like, what, what kind of shooting is it? I guess I saw just how to get into it, and it was like a bullseye target. I'm like, well, that's lame. But... Yeah. So to get into it, yes, it was a bullseye target. To get qualified, there were two strings of fire. One was a slow fire. Um, I don't, uh, I don't remember what the time constraints were, um, but there was really not much of a rush. Was the I think the slow fire was like five round, five shots in a minute or ten shots in a minute. So it wasn't. Wasn't very fast, yeah. and and then they did so have they, a timed string, but then there was. Let me. I know I have this one. So um, you said they were shooting stages. Then is it is it some sort of scoring system like hit factor or points down? I wonder. Yes, it, but it wasn't. I don't believe it was hit factor. It was just scoring. Or do they have to call it points per second since it's not used to say? I don't even know if they did that. To be honest with you, I'm trying to. But it's so what they were going to do while I'm looking for this is they were going to have a one day competition where there were four stages and there was like a hundred or 150, 160. There were a bunch that were going to be that were going to start stage one and then that was going to get cut in half. I think it was 150. So after stage one, there would be 75 people. After stage two, they were going all the way down to 32. And then um, either like 16 or 8 for the last one. And stage 3, I believe, was a lot of head-to-head with some movement. So it was time, but you've got to, you know, you've got to hit everything. I think it was all steel, too, and colored steel. So there were three different colors. You had to go to three different areas to shoot the different colors. So if you were at the red port, you could only shoot red steel. If you hit a blue or a yellow, you were disqualified and you're done. That could really introduce some strategy in the early part, like shoot good enough, but you don't need anything. And if it gets really a uh, slim field, you really got to start sending it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here we go. I found them. So there's the first one. So stage one, 15 yards, five rounds in 60 seconds, and then five rounds in 10 seconds. And that's your bullseye target. The X-ring, I believe, was the would be the tiebreaker. So everything in the red would be basically like, if you look at it like USPSA is the, the A-ring. The white is your C, your Charlie, but it's also only worth five points instead of 10. So that, that would be a big separator. And then your blue is your delta, and the white on the outside would be your mic. So if you make it through that one, then you get to go here. Rank protector. Five rounds in 15 seconds. From the right side with your right hand only, string two, five rounds, 15 seconds, left side, left hand only. Is there any provision for right-handed? Oh, it's the same time. Okay. Right hand versus left-handed shooters. Yep. Same exact time. So it doesn't matter. You're just doing five on one side. Then you're doing five on the other. Two different strings. So you have a par time. Yeah, this is like much, much more accuracy-based, I'd say. 15 seconds for five rounds. You got to get bullseyes to count, basically. So now you make it through that. You get to stage three, rank dual. So you're loaded. Okay, that looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, so you're loaded with a 10 plus one, 
And if you look down here, one guy starts in that box, the other shooter starts in that box. And then this is where you're shooting from this area over here, knock down all the steel with the white mini popper being last. So the first one to knock down that white mini popper is the winner of the stage. And then this is where they get, so you only have 32 coming into this. And then I think they drop it down to 16. So there's a hundred grand in cash. 50 grand goes to the winner. Yeah, 50 grand cash goes to the winner. The top 16 are automatically enrolled in next year's $1 million competition. Ooh, where's this money come from? <laughs> I, that's what I want to know. But Ooh. it's a brand new company. They've been out, they've been together less than a year. They're trying to buy front site right now in Nevada. And they have a range just northeast of Austin, which is where this competition is going uh, on. Zero. Compete? Is there like a match? Zero. No? Zero. As a matter of fact, they had regionals and like they had one here an hour north of me. I could have gone up there completely dressed the way I am now and they would give me the gun and the ammo and the target, everything I need to shoot and qualify. Very cool. It's like the low barrier yes. to entry. That's awesome. Now, here is stage four is called Gauntlet. Now, I, I create, I took their, oh. I yeah, I took their page and then I kind of put it in Canva and redid it to make it look good. But here you go. Guns loaded on the table, starting in the box. You start back here. Over here, let's say you're the left one. You go over here to the left side. You can only shoot the yellow. See the plate racks all the way in the back? You're shooting that from this port on this platform. Then you come over here. Now you have two more ports, a blue and a red. This is where if you're shooting from the high port that's blue, you can only shoot the blue steel. Then the red's the red. And then over here, you shoot all these little plates. And then the first one to knock down... The mini popper wins the stage and the other person very, gets yeah, knocked very out. Interesting. It's like Steel Challenge and USPSA kind of stuffed together. The beginning <laughs> yeah. seems a little weird. Like uh, I don't really like the bullseye targets, but this part, especially head to head, is really interesting. Yeah, very interesting. But I like it in that it may be a little slower per se, you know, than what we're accustomed to in USPSA yeah, or even IDPA. Yeah. So if you are an IDPA shooter or an NRA guy or a Bianchi Cup, something like that, like Doug Koenig, he's one of the competitors. You know, those first two stages are right up his alley. Oh, here's the other thing. You can use whatever gun you want. <laughs> no divisions, huh? Yeah. It's all fair game. So everybody's going to shoot an open gun next year. <laughs> well, and then Nils will be there with his Koenig. <laughs> I yep. wouldn't count him out. But yeah, someone like oh, JJ who's running his, you know, open gun. So yeah, just dial there. the power factor down a little bit because you don't need it. And, and uh, yeah, limited optics, in other words. <laughs> yeah. Blake Miguez is there. Uh, he even posted a picture of him, JJ, and I forget who the other guy was now. But Blake Miguez posted a picture and he's like, look, it's a it's a mini season one top shot reunion. So they were they're pulling people from all disciplines. Yeah, it sounds like they're putting some money into it. That's pretty cool. Good they, they, pretty interesting. I had Foley on um, about a year and a half ago. 
And I asked him about use getting cash prizes and stuff like that. And he goes, well, because I brought up PRS. PRS gives out cash prizes and precision rifle. And he goes, well, you know, I, I, he'd been around a while and he'd seen all of them. And like all the people who just give out cash, typically that doesn't last long. Start to run out of money. Yeah, it's not, not yeah. that easy to make the money. And I don't know where Prairie Fire, that's the name of the company. Rank is the competition. Um, I'm not sure where they're getting their money. They just, I just saw two posts where they have a Nevada CEO and a Texas CEO. And these are like retired generals, retired colonels, that type of thing. I so mean, I'm all for expanding shooting sports let's go like but here my thing is how i mean if if they're able to continue this type of thing every year what does that do to the uspsa and idpa who are not giving out like cash money awards you know what i mean the way i look at it is you got one person that's going to win a bunch of money and that's it and it's going to be the same group of people for a while i predict like Let's be well, real of the people that are there. Who's going to, who's got the best chance of winning. So I, I the agree, question is what kind of money do the lower spots have? Like, and you can win money at the regionals. June Kim just posted a picture of him with one of those big, huge yeah, fake yep. checks. Two grand. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. And that's awesome. First guy gets 20. I mean, 50. Second guy gets 20. Third guy gets 10. So even if you're them, you know, 20 and 10. I, okay. I mean, how much ammo does that buy you for the next year, you know? And I don't think this would, like, step on USPSA, per se. I think this would, like, just make being a good USPSA shooter really transferable to that, and it would, I think it would go very well with it, you know? I'd I'd see it being tough for them to have variety in, like, like the stage design, like we have, per se. Like, you can get really, really into the weeds on stage design in USPSA. I guess I'd be curious to see what they do for stages, going forward and what kind of stuff they could do. But yeah, it sounds like I mean, a pretty awesome thing. And if you have all year to plan for it, you know, now people know, because they only came out with the announcement August 21st. And yeah. the, the, the championship was October 28th. So it was a short period of time. Now they're going to have January, well, actually November till next October, a full year. I could see where some people start modifying some of their training for stuff like this, you know, maybe some strong hand weekend with a part time for accuracy, you know, and now you're going to start doing because I mean, it's hard not to compete for money. Absolutely. Like I already do a lot of strong hand weekend stuff. It's like, I guess I'd have to dial it in a little more. I like to use the entire A zone. <laughs> I can't right. shoot groups to save my life. So A zone is the size of the group I like to shoot. I don't care if as long as it's in the A. <laughs> But I do do a lot of strong hand weekend and stuff like that. I think at higher levels, it's super necessary. Yeah, I'd be curious to see if it could do something. Obviously, with that kind of money on the line, you're only going to have an event once a year. So it's like, I want to shoot a major once a month if I could. So it'd be tough to see the money like that. But but to have something to lead up to, that's kind of a, a second discipline to do, you know? I wanted to... They've added a bunch more videos Oh, it looks like they may have completed it. It'd be interesting. I'll get there in a minute. So I'm going to share Julie's video real quick here. And it's very short. And the only reason I'm doing it is to show you the 
basically to show you the size of the target. Not super small, not, not the size of a USPSA target either, A zone, but all right, so here we are. And I'll pause it when we when we get there. So these were she was posted a video for Prairie Fire. It's a decent size bull. Yeah, it looks like about a B eight size, like you know, you're staying pretty close to the standard yeah. B eight. And you they they have it right on their website, so you can print it off and practice with it, or you can even video or film yourself shooting it at 15 yards and then submit it virtually and it gets added in and then you can get selected that way too. So you don't even have to go to a competition to be selected to to go to the final. So very very interesting. Let me see if I can. It's not a not a small target, not a huge target, no A zone, but you know, you're also not shooting, you know, you're also not at national shooting six targets in four and a half seconds. Yeah. You know. That's a so, very interesting middle ground like you can get speedy with the steel but in in that beginning stages you really got to be accurate and like that's probably one thing i'll dip into i like to dip into when i start up for the year is shooting groups like i've, I've never been a good group shooter so it's always pain and torture to roll a b8 out to like 25 yards and try to put put them in the 10 ring you know yeah it doesn't look like they've i don't know if they have something maybe on their website announcing if someone won or not but i mean they've got a lot of people uh, Lanny Barnes is one of their spokespeople and other stuff. So it's interesting. I, I think it could very well be a game changer uh, in the pistol marksmanship competition arena if they're able to continue this year to year. Yeah, I'd like to see how they, if they can continue like the the, the bullseye target makes it really uh, like you're not going to get the same adrenaline like you get in a, a USPSA stage. So you got to make it through that that bullseye portion to get to the kind of the steel and the, the big adrenaline and like, no, I don't like standing and shooting anymore, you know? So it's like, that'd be tough. Something to try out though and see how easy it is to move on and whatnot. Just the initial draw would be tough potentially. I feel like a little bit of, you know, it, it goes beyond what Ben and Joel will call practical accuracy, <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah. It, it's a, so gonna have to definitely be able to shoot groups and if you can do that then you should be now do it strong hand weekend and i think there are plenty of shooters out there that can oh, I, I think it i think it's definitely could definitely be a game changer well tim that's what i've got for actually no i have one last question for you what does your make ready look like so when when you're at nationals or you're at a major or whatever and the ro says make ready what does that process look like before the beep? So I'm going to draw the gun. I will so like sight picture to check that the dots, the appropriate brightness. I learned that one like two years ago when I didn't have it bright enough because the sun came out in between stages. Oh, all of a sudden you can't see your dot on a white piece of steel. <laughs> Shoot blind. That was terrible. But check your dot brightness. And then I will, if I'm able to, and you can see most of the targets, I'll do kind of a Quick visual sight picture, especially on my first targets, my appropriate confirmation. And if I'm able to, I'll, I'll just visualize, even close my eyes, basically every target in the stage. And then load the gun in the holster. And I start my hat camera, take a deep breath, and I just about into the position and maybe visualize one more time if it's a particularly tough stage. And then I just assume the position. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, like the, the visualization is pretty key. Like, like uh, I've gotten to the point now where I try to visualize how I'm going to be coming into a position, like not so much. Oh, okay. A zone, A zone, A zone. Now I'm like, I want to look to that spot on the ground. I'm going to come in there. I want to be shooting this target before, like on my way in. And it's like the more visual and, and the more you can program by far the better. So that's uh, definitely something that you really have to try hard and it's a, a steep learning curve, but programming what to do with your feet and, like appropriate splits and appropriate sight picture on every target. And and how much time are we talking? Oh, 35, 40 seconds generally. Not not terribly long. I've never been a super long make ready. I can go through it pretty quick. quick. Yeah, like yeah. I'll, I, it'll be a minute tops usually. And yeah, I'm not going to go through it any slower than I'm going to shoot it. Like why would I visualize going through it in slow motion when I'm going to shoot it as fast as humanly possible, you know? <laughs> Well, and you know, it's funny you say that because Jacob Hetherington and John Browning of the Army Marksmanship Unit, both, when they visualize, they run through it as rapidly as they can in their head. And if they can't do that, then they know that it's not embedded well enough. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, shouldn't limit yourself like, oh, bang, 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 bang. No, I'm like, I'm going to briefly look at that target, look to that one, that one, that one, that one. Yeah, definitely run through it as, as close to real pace as you can. Well, that's what I've got. Uh, was there anything that you wanted to add or anything you feel you need to clarify that we talked about that we didn't? No, pretty much an open book. I thought we covered everything pretty well. I really, really enjoyed being on the podcast. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on for sure. And I, I hope we can at least run into each other at Nationals next year. Yeah, I mean, I definitely got my sights set on eight or so majors next year for sure, so... Okay. Try to get out the Dragon's Cup. I mean, like I said, I'd probably be ROing that one, so that'll be a fun one. Yeah, I'm going to have to make that one of these years. I don't know if it'll be next year, but... They're working hard to be the premier match. Last year was pretty good, so we can get slightly better weather. I think it'll really be up there. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things. Well, thanks again, Tim. I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thank you. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs>